0: Well, believe it or not, this is Romans chapter 19. Actually, it's uh, our 19th uh, one in the series that we started in Romans a while ago. I don't even remember when we started it. Uh, But today we're going to talk about the children of God revealed. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to find out that you had a rich relative you didn't know existed that all of a sudden left you a lot of money? Yes. If you didn't raise your hand, you're not being honest, because all of us would like that. I mean, I I told you that one time earlier last spring, when we found out we were on the list of unclaimed funds for the state of Ohio, my Sprint rebate check from like 15 years ago (laughs) wasn't much, Okay. But the funny thing is is that sometimes in real life this does happen, where somebody gets a letter and all of a sudden they find out there was a relative or somebody that had them in mind and left them a legacy, and they're surprised by that. Wouldn't it be great? It could be a a moment that would change our destiny. And it's often a frequent theme in literature and a lot of books uh, throughout the generations that somebody uh, gets this. Now, on the other hand, how horrible to find out that someone in your life that you didn't know about left you a bunch of bills. Thankfully, laws protect us from most things like that happening. But can you imagine if all of a sudden somebody that you were related to had listed you as their next of kin and you were responsible for all their bills? How would you feel about that? Actually, I got a scam the other day saying that uh, it, it was a funny thing about uh, something that my father owed, and and a place he's been living here for years, and it was something in another place that he couldn't have been. And I thought scam, throw that out. But they wanted me to pay this bill on his behalf. Well, something most people don't realize is that everyone does have a spiritual inheritance that you probably are not very aware of, and it can be a good spiritual inheritance. And if you don't have God in your heart, if you don't belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, it can be a bad spiritual inheritance. It all depends on who your spiritual father is. This is something you really want to make sure you have settled. I'm going to uh, have Greg, we'll share it in another week, but uh, Greg was, uh, in his business that he's in, was putting together a funeral package and got to the end. And there was a lady, she was 94 years old, and uh, found out, uh, they were talking about who was going to do the funeral. She didn't know the Lord. Well, guess what? She's now a sister in the Lord. Greg added a checklist to the bottom where you can uh, check on the bottom. So, by the way, since we're planning your funeral, do you know about the Lord? And by the way, Greg's an evangelist. It just happens, right? That's always in your mind. That's his gifting. And I, and I appreciate that about you. So, yeah, and, and her daughter also prayed with you. And uh, so I'll let him share the story because it's awesome. But Romans 8, 17 and 18 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. If we are children, then we have an inheritance is what it's saying. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We share in everything that Jesus inherits from the Father. That's a good inheritance. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share... Wait, let's back up there a second. What did I say? If indeed we share in his sufferings, okay, so this is part of the inheritance too, in order that we may also share in his glory. Because Jesus inherited both from the Father, didn't he? He had sufferings that the Lord took him through, the Father took him through in obedience to the plan of uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But verse 18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let me put this in very clear terms. It means this, as followers of Jesus Christ, as part of our inheritance in this life, we will share in the sufferings of Christ. There will be times, because we are followers of Christ, that we will be uncomfortable And sometimes, we talk about being uncomfortable here. In other countries, you could lose your life for taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a little bit more serious. But he says that that is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed when we stand with the Lord. What he has for us is going to overshadow anything that we experience in this life. How many of you know you've shared a little bit in the sufferings of Christ? I hope that none of us have to ever go through some of the persecution that People do in other lands, but I don't think we have a guarantee. And this idea that as Christians, once we come to the Lord, that everything is going to work out perfectly in our life and that we're never going to suffer is not theologically sound. We share in the sufferings of Christ, but He is right there with us. We're going to talk about that in in two weeks. So let's pray. Let's just ask God to open our hearts. Father, as we look at your word today in Romans 8, give us a clear understanding of what you're saying to us. Help us to understand what your Spirit is doing in our hearts right now. And lead us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our inheritance. Jesus is very honest with his followers, with his apostles, about what their inheritance was. In this life, he said, he will be with us to the very end of the world. But we will also share in his sufferings. By the way, this point of theology about sharing in the sufferings of Christ is usually not preached in the Western church in Europe and in America. And because of that, we've lost a lot of people that have been they've given into an easy believism. They've come to the Lord and they believe that by uh, accepting Jesus, their life was going to be made better in every way. Well, arguably, in a spiritual sense, our life is better in every way. But what do you say to Stephen, the first martyr of the church who comes to the Lord? How long did he serve the Lord before the Lord brought him home? Through persecution, he lost his life. Did he lose? No, he was right in the middle of God's will. So we need to be careful about easy believism and what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. We will share in his sufferings. This point of theology needs to be part of our theology. Paul knows, and what he's saying here, that Jesus has paid the price for him. You can't add anything to what Jesus has paid for you. You don't have to add to uh, the grace that God has given you. You don't have to try to work out your salvation. But that doesn't mean that we won't share in some of the sufferings of Christ. Colossians 124 says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Can we say that with the Apostle Paul? I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. And we know that Paul was beaten as a... uh, Remember, he was arrested a number of times. Uh, He was persecuted by uh, his Jewish... uh, the Jewish people that didn't agree that Jesus was Messiah... Uh, There were a lot of things that he faced, and he lists them all. I think it's in 2 Corinthians. He talks about being beaten with rods, by being uh, scourged, by being uh, in shipwrecks, by all of that. Can we say with Paul that it's an honor to suffer with the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know if I'm always there. As an American Christian, life has been pretty easy for me. Can we just be real frank about this? And yet, If we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have this point of theology secure. Philippians 1, starting in verse 27, it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have and then Acts 5:40 it says his speech persuaded them here Paul is speaking and excuse me peter and they called the apostles in and had them flogged and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of jesus and they let them go the apostles left the sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of the lord jesus christ day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that jesus is the christ how firm is your belief in the lord jesus are you willing to suffer for him? Notice it says, don't be afraid of what people think about you. Be willing to take a stand. Don't let fear grab your heart. I really believe that part of what Franco shared about being in the valley of decision is we are at a point in our, uh, in our culture where things are becoming decidedly more anti-Christian. And I want to ask the question, are you willing to stand for the truth? For the early believers in this first century church, they started out in the midst of persecution. They had seen their Lord crucified. They saw him raised again. It says as many as 500 people heard Jesus after he was raised from the dead. They knew that God had the power to raise him from the dead. But they also knew that the same people that killed Jesus were not going to let the church just do what they wanted to do. There was a persecution. There was a resistance now, I'm not one of those people that is praying for persecution to come. <laughs> but I do think that we're in a place where we need to be willing to stand for the Lord. If you are a Christian today on a college campus, your faith will be tested. And I, I've i told stories about my college years many years ago. It is probably 100 times more toxic and anti-Christian today than it was when I was a student. If you're in a public school, chances are that your faith is going to be tested. And you're going to have to make a decision whether you're going to stand for the Lord. Jesus gives Peter a comprehensive picture about what is coming, this inheritance in life. And I'm not going to spend any more time on the the persecution part, but we need to know that's part of it. Now, Jesus has this amazing encounter with this rich young man. And this is Mark 10, if you want to turn there. We're just going to take a a brief look at this. This is the story of a young man asking Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him what he's supposed to do. The young man can't give up the things that are important to him. And he walks away. It says Jesus loved the man, but the man walked away. He wasn't willing to surrender everything to the Lord. Well, at the end of this, Peter says to him, and this is verse 28 in Mark 10, Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. So in other words, Peter's saying that guy wouldn't follow you, but we've left everything. We've given up everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Pretty interesting here. What did they give up? If you look at this list, Peter indicates the price that many of those who followed Jesus had to pay. It says they had left everything. They had left brothers, sisters. You remember Jesus, uh, even when he started his public ministry, and he went to one of the Jewish feasts, his brothers and His mother came to take him back home because they thought he had lost his mind. Imagine that, the Son of God, and there's his mother and his brothers outside trying to bring him back, saying, Don't do this, you need to come back, you need to come home. There's a cost when you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have had a cost in your family by taking a stand for the Lord? I remember right after I committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I went to a family wedding. I was surrounded by the uncles who came to give me their, Franco knows how Italian families work, okay? The, the uncles on assignment, okay? And I went into the bar just to get some ginger ale, and uh, there were all the uncles standing around, and they says, hey, hey, this what's this religious thing you're doing, you know? Just don't go overboard with this, okay? You know, in other words... Don't start talking to me about Jesus or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get out of here. But uh, it's funny. People, all of a sudden, everybody has an opinion about your faith. And sometimes families are not very tolerant. Sometimes to accept Christ means that we will be at odds with our family. This is hard to hear. Some of you may be going through that right now. I mean, there are people in this room that have made decisions. And uh, all of a sudden it puts you at odds. Sometimes it means you lose your friends. It's a little bit different today than when I first came to Christ because now it can happen in a second on Facebook, Twitter, and everything else. All of a sudden, you have this social media storm coming after you you know, because you've said something or you've taken a stand. And all of a sudden, people are saying, I don't want to be with that guy. Are you going to stand with Jesus? And there is a strong, I'm going to be frank with you, there's a strong spirit of Antichrist working in our land right now. It is anti-Christian. It is so easy to go in with the stream and just not believe anything or to criticize Christ and criticize the word. But when the time comes to make a stand, can you do that? So Peter is saying, we've walked away from our businesses. We've walked away from fields. We walked away from our fishing boats. We've walked away from our homes, all these things. So Peter indicates they were, they were considered outsiders by the Jewish leaders. As time went on, it didn't take long where, uh, remember, the guy that was healed, his parents did not want to admit that they knew their son because they didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. The Jewish leaders were saying, if you go with this Jesus thing, you're out of the synagogue. You're out of the church. It's over. Does following Jesus mean you have to lose everything? Not necessarily, okay? But in some cases, it does. When my mother's mother, my grandmother, left the Catholic Church, it was days after Uh, my grandfather had died. My grandfather died very young at age 44, leaving my grandmother who didn't speak English. He, (laughs) he met this woman and married her and here she is in America. She doesn't speak English. She has seven children. Okay. And he dies. And, uh, my grandmother after he died, understood what he was saying about Jesus because my grandfather was a believer and she started going to the Italian Pentecostal church. She left the Catholic church. The priest in their parish told everybody in the neighborhood to shun her. They said, you are not to give her any food. You're not to give her any assistance. One of my uncles told me about this. They almost died. And all their friends were required to turn their back because of what, what had happened. Sometimes people pay a very clear price. Vijesh, some of you remember Vijesh, She was here in August. He was telling the story about uh, the believers in Pakistan that received uh, the Lord with joy. And uh, what was it? How many people was it? Like 10,000 people that had come or 15,000, something like that. And they were baptizing people for two days. He said, Pastor Joe, do you understand what this means? And I said, I have no idea. Tell me what this means in Pakistan. It means that they can't go home to the village they lived in because they stood in a public meeting and confessed Christ as Savior. They couldn't go back to their homes. They had to move to an area of Pakistan, to villages that are outside of society. These are outcast villages where the Christians live. It meant that they lost their jobs. And he said these people were so happy to have Jesus in their life. They said, we're willing to give up everything for Jesus. This is what's going on in other parts of the world right now. Did you know that? Remember, the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. Iran. Did you know that? Yeah, let your mouth hit the floor. Pick that chin up. Go out and look at the persecution map. You know where Christianity is thriving the most? Where persecution tends to be heavier. Somebody told me the Chinese church was praying for us to be persecuted. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Can I just be honest about this? I don't want to make everybody feel bad today. But these words need to be very clear. they need to they need to hit us. This is part of our inheritance as well. But then Peter goes on, or Jesus goes on talking to Peter. And essentially what we need to understand here, it's like the pearl of great price. Remember the story that Jesus told about the pearl? And the person sold everything they had because they knew they had something they had found something so precious, they were going to give up everything to get that one pearl, okay? But that pearl of great price, you're willing to give up everything because you know you're getting something that's more important than the entire world. Okay? Jesus responds to Peter with what his inheritance was. He says, now all of you that have left, you're going to receive a hundredfold inheritance. Let me tell you what that means in the Greek. It doesn't mean just a hundred percent increase. It means an exponential to the hundredth degree. If you look at the number here, it's a number that you can't even understand. So whether Jesus is making a statement about faith. And I've heard people teach this. It's very interesting. When I was a young boy, uh, our church kind of got caught up a little bit in the God wants you to be rich movement, which is still going today. That seems to be very marketable, you know, to a lot of people that God wants to give you a hundredfold blessing. And maybe you've heard these evangelists on the air that if you give $10, you're going to get, uh, what's 10 Somebody pointed out if they really exegeted the Greek properly, that would actually be about uh, $10 billion, OK, okay, if, you're, if you want to be serious about this. The whole point is, is that's not what this is talking about. And why don't those people that talked about hundredfold blessing ever talk about the persecution part? It must not be in their Bible. I heard a guy preaching this on the radio. Somebody was telling me about this guy I needed to listen to. So I I looked him up on the Internet. I won't tell you who it is, but I'm listening to it. He gets to the part about persecutions, and he totally leaves it out in Mark 10. This this is not just somebody making a mistake here. This has to be intentional. But what is this blessing? Jesus says he's going to give us 100-fold homes. You know what that means? First of all, in this life, it means when you become a brother or sister in Christ, you have a church that's willing to take you into homes everywhere. For the early, early people in this church, many of these people knew that there was a whole network throughout the Roman Empire as Christianity spread. All they would have to do is go and present that they were a Christian and they would be welcomed into a home in hospitality. That's part of what Jesus is talking about. But if you want to know about the eternal part, he's preparing a home for us that's 100 times exponentially better than anything we're living in right now. Think about that. What about 100-fold brothers, sisters, mothers, children? Sometimes when we have to take a step away from our families, not we, it's not that we want to lose our families, but they can't handle our faith. We have a church that is full of spiritual moms and dads and brothers and sisters. Amen. Is it true? And by the way, I do think God wants to prosper us so that we can bless, be a blessing, but I think it's irresponsible to go around doing things like you send me $10 and God's going to send you 100 back. Uh, that's a manipulation. It's, it's just not right. I hope you never have to experience having to give up family, but Jesus says what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Then he goes on. Let me just take a few minutes more. I just want to share this. In Romans 8, verse 19, it says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. I love this. This is the New Living Translation. How many of you know that you are hidden secret agents? If you really belong to the Lord, people don't know who you are. They don't know who you are. "'Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, "'but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day "'when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. "'For we know that all creation has been groaning "'as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. "'And we believers also groan, "'even though we have the Holy Spirit within us "'as a foretaste of future glory. "'For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering.'" we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, then we don't need to hope for it. Everything that God created is longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Did you know the creation is groaning right now? People ask me sometimes, do you believe in... Uh, global warming, or do you believe in climate change and what's going on? And you need to know there's a lot of scandal and manipulation about that. I don't believe all the science and things that they're telling us. And I've done research in that. And if you've never re- read about the East Anglia University scandal and the Penn State scandal over how they change things to fit in, You can look at that. But I want to tell you one thing that people aren't figuring into the equation is God tells us in the last days that this planet is going to rock and roll. It is going to literally be kind of groaning, so to speak, in anticipation of our Lord returning. What did Jesus say? It said there would be earthquakes in diverse places, meaning that earthquakes are going to get more intense. It said that there were going to be different signs in the heavens and things that are happening. Scripture tells us that when we sin, sin actually affects the ecosystem. If you never heard my scripture on that, uh, my, my teaching on that, it's pretty amazing. When it talks about, the Lord says, if you rebel against me, then I will not send the rains at their proper times. Think about that. Read Micah. Read Nahum, read, some, read Joel, some of the scriptures that talk about that. It's true. But God cares about everything on this planet. and Not only does God want to save and transform his people, he wants to transform all of creation. We are told when Jesus returns that everything is going to be transformed. First of all, it's going to happen to us. 1 Corinthians 15.22, it will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Our bodies will be transformed to be like Jesus' body was when he was raised from the dead, not subject to aging or decay, not subject to the limits of our old bodies. Jesus will begin a thousand-year reign on the earth, and all the nations of the earth will be ruled from Jerusalem. In Micah chapter 4, it talks about, in the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the people will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He's talking about setting up his throne, literally, in a restored Jerusalem in Israel in the Middle East. And it says he will judge between many peoples. He will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. And this is what they put on the um, side of the united nations building but they left the first part out it says and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore i need to let you know that will happen but it's not going to happen without the lordship of christ and it goes on about all the nations it will be a time of healing for the nations. In other words, all creation is waiting for this moment when the Lord restores what Adam and Eve lost in, thousands of years ago in that moment where they gave dominion over to Satan. He will restore the rulership over the planet. Now, I believe in recycling. Okay, We've got a recycling bin out there. Remember, I started recycling, what was it, 1983, when we lived on the farm? So I'm proud of that. I'm a recycler. But can I tell you, this planet is really not going to be healed and it's not going to be totally restored until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. There is going to be a transformation that happens. And Romans 8 here says all creation is groaning for the sons of God to come. In other words, this planet is literally crying out. Not only does Jesus care about you, but he's going to restore the planet. The reason, this is my theory, just my theory, the reason why I believe there's a thousand years when God restores this planet is because he wants to demonstrate to all the nations what he originally designed and intended for this planet under his lordship, under his leadership. Are you excited about that? Okay, so this is the good part. I told you about the persecution first because I wanted to get that over. Here's the good part is this is God's promise to us. This is why he's saying, be true to the Lord, be faithful. This is part of your inheritance, a time of healing of the nations. What does it mean that the sons of God will be revealed? It means that we will be restored to the dominion that God originally gave to Adam and Eve. Let me tell you something he said to Adam and Eve that you need to be aware of. He said, I want you to go out into the world I've created. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And I want you to tread underfoot all of this land and bring it under subjection to God. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. Hebrew, To go out and bring it in under his dominion. Some people think that they're going to float on clouds when Jesus returns. And we're going to be playing harps. You've seen it in Warner Brothers cartoons. You've seen it in Disney cartoons, right? That's cartoon theology. The original mandate to Adam and Eve to actually help and administering the planet is going to be yours if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't going to share it, but I'll, I'm, I'm just going to share part of it. I can't share the whole thing. I had a vision this past week, and I was driving up Stowe Road, and it started, there was a train at the train tracks, and I was there just, I was just seeking the Lord, and I was praying. And the Lord showed me the Zechariah 12 through 14, the earthquake. And the city in Jerusalem being leveled. And I saw the sea rushing in. And this whole thing that, that is described in the scriptures. But it was an amazing thing because I saw people that are Christians that, have been, that were redeemed in this season. And we were all being given assignments to go out and help the healing of the nations. The Lord said, you have a part in this. You have things to do. Everything that mankind has longed for, I don't fault the people of the United Nations. I think many of them are true believers that really want to see this planet healed. But it's not going to happen without Jesus. And if we do it without the Lord, we know the Bible says there's one who's going to come that will exploit that, the Antichrist. He has a totally different view. It's a view of controlling the nations and bringing them under subjection to him and literally bringing destruction but God is giving us a promise. What does it mean that the sons of God will be revealed? Let me close with this. It means that dominion will be restored. We will share in God's authority and rule. In Revelations 21, it says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having a key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. And this abyss apparently is a place where Satan will be judged and held. And it says... He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked him, locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. And then I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads and hands. They had come to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. What did you hear there? The Lord appoints judges among the people that have been redeemed to actually rule over the nations. It says we will rule with him. There is an inheritance that is physical. There is an inheritance that is actual. There is an inheritance in the healing of the nations and the restoring of everything that has been broken. And that's part of your inheritance as men and women of God. How many of you didn't know that? It's true. Let's stand together. Thank you, God. Can we just worship the Lord together? Just go ahead and tell the Lord how much you love him. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your loving kindness. Father, we just bless you and praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you that we are heirs, that we are not only adopted as sons and daughters, but we are also heirs and joint heirs. That when Christ returns, Lord, you have an inheritance for us that you will share with us, and you call us into relationship with you. Lord, I want to thank you so much for all that you bless us with. And frankly, Lord, there are days when we wake up, we get out of bed, and this seems so remote. It seems like something that's so far away. And yet, Lord, we see the signs happening all around us of your prophecies being fulfilled. I feel like this is a season, Lord, where you're saying to prepare our hearts It's a season to renew our covenant with you. It's a season to say, Lord, I believe and I'm going to stand firm in what you have given me. God, give us the strength that we need in this hour in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to say to anybody here that does not know the Lord as your Savior, if you've never prayed that prayer, uh, I'll be here after the service. Please come up. I'd be glad to pray with you. The Lord loves you so much and he wants to transform you as a son or daughter of his. He's calling you home. So Lord, we just give you thanks and praise. Bless us as we go forth from this place today. Lord, let your word continue to live and grow in us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Let's go on the blessing of the Lord.